We'll be referring to a lot of passages tonight extolling the importance of humility. And Moses and Aaron, Exodus 10 and 3, Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and, say, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself? Uh, last week we began with the fear of God, and today we'll be discussing what uh, this passage has to say, and many others, about what it means to be humble before God. Now, our text is a part of the confrontation that went on between Moses and the spokesman Aaron and Pharaoh in the Old Testament. We know that Pharaoh was not a believer. Uh, we know that God promised Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And he did. You see that in Exodus chapter 7 and other passages. We also know that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And we see that in Exodus 8, 15 and in other places. In fact, there were 11 different times in Exodus chapter 7 through 10 where the Bible spoke of Pharaoh and his hardened heart. It's interesting though that in our text God did not contend with Pharaoh because of his hardened heart. Instead, he contended with Pharaoh because he did not humble himself before him. This was not the first and uh, it wouldn't be the last of the Old Testament pagan potentates, kings, that were confronted by God because of their pride. Because they refused to humble themselves. Love the story of Daniel chapter 5. And here uh, the prophet was addressing Belshazzar. And talking to him about what had happened to his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. How that he was driven, Daniel 5, 21, from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And I have to think about this and, and just go ahead and say it. You know, you just wonder how many of the ruling class in this country and the others could be vastly improved by spending a little time like Nebuchadnezzar. And nothing like getting out and grazing in the fields like an ox to humble a man and make him acknowledge that it is God who rules over the affairs of men. Oh, how so many in our world today need a reminder that it's God and not them who rules over men. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, then, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. This is a part of that famous handwriting on the wall passage where God told him his kingdom was numbered and was going to be taken from him. And it was. Why? Because he did not humble himself before God. You'd have thought he would have learned, of course, but he didn't. 
We begin at this point in these passages because we're considering these human responses, emotional responses to God that the Bible discusses. And certainly these things are required of believers. But to find it presented in Scripture as even things that God expects to see in people who have no relationship with Him at all. It is to be expected, you see, of people regardless of who they are. Regardless of what God they believe in, with what, regardless of what belief system they have, even if they deny the existence of God altogether, all it is to be expected that when they find themselves in the presence of the Most High God and they see that God is obviously at work, there's a position that they should assume, and that position is one of humility. It is repeatedly referenced in Scripture. I want to begin with a few classic of these, and I'm just going to read for you tonight and move on. Micah 6 and 8, my favorite passage of Scripture. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. What a great passage. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. We'll see this passage later. For God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, Jesus said, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. To look at these great passages then is to understand that to humble ourselves before God, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, whether it's then or now, to humble ourselves before God is a vital response for His people to make. God resists the proud. God's requirements of us includes walking humbly before Him. If we humble ourselves Jesus promises us that we'll be exalted. Such a a high value then is placed on something that is within our hearts. Humble ourselves before God. So let's notice first tonight the meaning of this. You know the Hebrew word for humble had to cover a lot of meanings because the Hebrew vocabulary was so, so small And it means to afflict, it means to occupy, to oppress, to humble, or to be bowed down or made low. When you find humble in the New Testament, the Greek word's more specific. It means always to be made low or to bring low. Now, as we define uh, darkness as the absence of light, as we define cold as the absence of heat, Uh, We usually define humility as the absence of pride or haughtiness or arrogance, and rightly so. In fact, there are a couple of passages in the Bible where that exact comparison is made. 1 Peter 5 and 5 comes quickly to mind. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. When Simon Peter was talking about referring to our spiritual leaders or pastors, uh, he would talk about submitting to one another. Uh, the elders, First uh, Peter chapter one, uh, five and verse one. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. 
Oh, yeah, pastors have a very specific job description. Uh, you say, why do you refer that to pastors? Because the word feed in that passage literally means to pastor. It is the word for shepherd in the Bible. Shepherd, the flock of God. It's a verb form. Sometimes it's referred to as a noun, but in this passage it's used as a verb. Shepherd the flock of God. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint but willingly. Not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Not as being lords over God's heritage. But by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. You shall receive a crown of glory. That fadeth not away. He gives the important sin of humility. Even among our spiritual leaders. But also. He sets up this principle of submitting to them as he presents the important principle of submitting one to another and clothing ourselves with humility. Great passages where humility is promised a blessing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the hand of God that he might exalt you. It shouldn't surprise us then that prideful arrogance manifests itself as a refusal to submit to anyone and also a sense of entitlement. Uh, that I, I deserve whatever it is that I'm getting. That's a, a prideful kind of arrogance. But it's required among elders, it's required among the youngers that we would all humble themselves and submit ourselves to God and to one another. The same concept is used in reference to children submitting to parents, wives submitting to their husbands, and all of us submitting to the ruling authorities. All the way from our local police officers, all the way to the highest forms of government, we submit in to our governmental authorities. Remember that Jesus gave that same comparison, when we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. Put it simply, in the Lord's work, in God's economy, the way up is down, and the way down is up. If we allow ourselves to get prideful and try to exalt ourselves and push ourselves to the forefront, then God resists us. But if we humble ourselves, then God exalts us. God picks us up. The way to advance in God's work is to humble ourselves and to serve others and serve them well. Serve God and serve Him well. We humble ourselves. And God then has an amazing way of pushing us to the places where He would have us to be. The psalmist described it in this way, Psalm 22 and 6. Remember, we're talking about the meaning, what it means to humble ourselves. I love this passage, Psalm 22 and 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. There's an old hymn we used to sing called At the Cross, and it contains a line in it. Should he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? But along the way, somebody, I don't think it was Brother Bill, but somebody uh, changed that line. And, and now, almost in all the hymns, it sings, For Sinners Such As I. Most of the time when they sing that song, I still sing it the old way, For Such a Worm As I. And I'm the only worm in the house most of the time. 
I'm just singing along by memory, and that's the way I memorized it, sang it all those years. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Well, you know, that's a biblical thought because the psalmist expressed it, but he wasn't the only one. Isaiah 41 and 14, God said, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, ye men of Israel, I will help you. I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. i got good news for you tonight. God is in the worm-saving business. I will redeem you. I'll help you. Can't get much lower than a worm. So there's the meaning of humility. Excuse me just a second. Brother Jason has been sharing around here. It's not him. We've all got a touch of it. It's not COVID. Thank the Lord for that. It's just that won't stand up. So we also have then tonight humility and revival. Humility and revival. If my people, you you knew this passage was coming. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Gives us a classic definition of revival, though the word humility uh, or revival rather is not mentioned specifically in the text. That's certainly what he's talking about. I will forgive your sins. I will heal your land. That's what revival does and it's what our nation needs today. It's what our church needs today. It's what our community needs today. And God stands ready, willing, and certainly able to do this. If my people, number one on the list, if my people shall humble themselves. It's not the only passage in the Bible that brings these two concepts together. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Isn't that a great passage? God says, I dwell in the high place, the holy place. As he said to to Solomon, the heavens of the heavens, I dwell there. But I dwell also with those who have a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God gave an interesting demonstration of this in the days of the good king, Josiah. Josiah lit out in a great revival in the land of Israel, and the temple worship was restored, and the worship of Baal was attacked and pushed back. We remember the days of the dark days of Ahab and Jezebel when they were killing the prophets of God. Well, in the days of Josiah, it was the prophets of Baal who were on the run hiding for their lives, getting out of Israel because they had no place there where Baal worship was caused to be put to flight. 
When the law was read, the people realized that God had promised to judge those who turned from Him. And so they sent unto the prophetess Huldah. You might not have heard Huldah mentioned in a message like ever. <laughs> but certainly not recently. The prophetess Huldah in Second Chronicles 34. Brother Rich, did you say prophetess? Yes, I did. Huldah. Verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. Huldah delivered some bad news from the Lord. Judgment was coming. Jeremiah would soon take up that same lament and pass it along over and over again. Judgment was coming. And judgment indeed came. But then there's this amazing passage. Verse 27. 2 Chronicles 34, 27. Then... God says through Huldah to Josiah, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee, thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. And so they brought the king word, or that word to the king again. Now, don't miss the setting. This is a setting where God had promised to judge the land. And the land was indeed judged. But as Josiah had read the word of the Lord, and, and he had heard the word of God, and, and it, he had rent his clothes, that sign of great consternation. He had humbled himself before God with, with sackcloth and ashes, and all the things that Josiah had done. God saw how that king humbled himself. Contrast that with Pharaoh. Contrast that with Nebuchadnezzar. Contrast that uh, with uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Contrast that with countless examples of human history of men, kings, potentates who exalted themselves and were lifted up with pride and God brought them down. Here's one man. One man who humbled himself before God and the judgment of God on the nation was put off for a whole lifetime. For a whole generation. Because one man in position of power humbled himself before God. Oh, listen. Folk, we, we can't overlook the importance of, of this great passage, Second Chronicles chapter 7, if my people shall humble themselves. Never underestimate the power of people who get low before God who get on their knees, on their faces before God. 
God is so committed to the principle of revival that a tender heart that humbles himself, even though the nation is inevitably heading into judgment, God will respond to that one person who humbles himself before him. Who knows, right here in this building tonight might be the people that could make the difference for our nation for another lifetime. You never know. Humility and revival. Lastly tonight, we're going to look at humility and repentance. If humility goes with a revival, it does. Humility also goes with repentance. James chapter 4 and verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace? Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud... But he gives grace unto the humble. This passage is discussing the origin of our quarrels and disputes. James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This would be a great question to ask in the United States of America tonight. What causes quarrels and what causes fights? I'm thankful tonight that... uh, if, if we've got much of a squabble going on in Faith Baptist Church, I'm just completely ignorant of it. And quite frankly, I prefer to stay that way. I think our fellowship is good. It certainly feels like it. And so I'm not talking to you tonight about this because I'm, I'm trying to correct something, although we could. But it is important for us to know that in a general way, God asks, answers this question, what causes quarrels and fights? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Wherever there are quarrels and wherever there are disputes and fightings, wherever differences are erupting into confrontations, whether violent or otherwise, somebody's passions are showing. Somebody's not getting their way and they're mad about it. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so after giving us the source of all that conflict and all that argument, whether among the people of God or outside, where we see all that conflict going on, what is it? It is people and their own fleshly desires. What is the answer to it? Somebody needs to humble themselves. Somebody needs to get right with God. Maybe both sides to deliver us from the power of our passions. And James, in this great passage, I I, I could preach at least three sermons from this. and not even going to preach one, but in this great passage... James then goes on and tells us how this plays out. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. 
James describes a situation then we know. People arguing, people complaining, people disputing. And what they really need to do is humble themselves before God. In our own struggle with sin, our own friendship with the world, our own passions warring within us, this is the cause of the conflict. At home, on the job, at the school. There's a sign then that we need to humble ourselves. You know the word humble in English is derived from the word humus, which means earth or ground. There's something for us to be said for getting close to the earth. And as we think about our holy and righteous God, that makes perfect sense to bow before Him. Now, for some of you, if you get down on your knees, you're going to have to have help getting up. I I understand. It's not so much about physical posture as it is what's in our hearts. You can humble your heart before God without having to bow those hurting knees. You can do it. It's about an attitude. An attitude that delivers us then from... Just what I want or what I deserve. And being obedient to God. Submitting ourselves to one another. And bowing before Him. I want to close out tonight with this incredible promise that God has given us. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. And He will exalt you in due time. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Oh, what great promises tonight are promised to us. If only we'll humble ourselves before the Lord.